And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Just who the hell are you? He's James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands! Battle station! This is Captain Kirk. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands battle station. Now, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Alright, and welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday. And this is Star Trek Monthly Monday number 39, the original season... Episode 1701. I am Chris Honeywell, and I am here with my fellow Star Trek fiend, Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm psyched for this episode. Me too. We, uh, we're bringing the goods on this one, folks. This, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing where you're, you're tempted to bring it in with, uh, you know, we've got a special show planned for you folks tonight, so sit back and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, and we really do, because, uh, the episode's awesome. The comic is awesome. It's uh, the hosts are awesome. You know, the show is awesome. We're just plain awesome. So, yeah, yeah. I've had soak a lot of caffeine. In. <laughs> <laughs> soak in the awesome, listeners. I'm on the I'm on the opposite side. I'm 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 burnt out, but I am also going to be fueling myself on pure Star Trek. Uh, um, wonderfulness and spaghettios and franks. So if you hear if you hear slurping and slopping, that's me eating my spaghettios. These are the first spaghettios I've had in years, years and years and years, and I got a cold, so they don't taste like anything. <laughs> <laughs> It's like a bowl full of snot. They, awesome. they, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, before we... <laughs> They're mucosos. Yeah, um, with Franks. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, d- before we get 
get into the show. Is there anything? Uh... Well, I, I got to thinking just as we sat down to do this that uh, I, I think you had said something about possibly trying to get uh, a guest for this one <laughs> that never really materialized either. Right. But we're you know we're still kind of playing catch up from the holidays and all. We fell behind in our in our uh, podcasting. You know, with being ahead, you know, we 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 like right. to keep a nice buffer of being several episodes ahead, and so we're actually scrambling to regain that lead time. So for the time being, you know, anybody who's who's been in our guest queue for a while, and I know that we have several folks in our Star Wars guest queue, yeah, uh, that keep messaging me, going, "Dude, what is going on with you guys?" Well, that, I mean, that's honestly what's happening is that we're just. You know, we're trying to regain our lead. My schedule at work's been a nightmare. So between those two factors, it's like, you know, for the time being, just just enjoy the fact that we're actually still, you know, keeping a schedule and getting shows out. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to everything in due course. So please have patience. <laughs> that's that's my message for, for this episode. <laughs> just have patience with two true freaks. Um, I do have one quick thing. Uh, this is the, uh, the wrap up, uh, uh, thank yous for Dave Atterbury, who, uh, I was talking about a while ago, you know, sent me a great big box of books and there was, uh, you know, the, the Indiana Jones books in there. Well, there was also, uh, a bunch of Star Trek material in there. And I just wanted to, uh, once again, thank Dave for, uh, you know, his extreme generosity because, you know, he just sent me this stuff out of the blue and, uh, it's awesome. But uh, I, I just wanted to cover real quick what was actually in there because there's some really cool stuff. First off was a copy of The World of Star Trek by David Gerald, the uh, author of um, uh, The Trouble with Tribbles episode. And, uh, and also Star Trek Log 4 by Alan Dean Foster. Now that's uh, the novelizations of the um, animated series episodes. I actually have copies of both of these books, so I am going to pass those off to you, Oh, yeah. I know that you would like to have those as part of your collection. So, and it, uh, and it's strange because I thought I had both of those books, but it turned out I had neither of them. So this is going to be awesome. Cool. There's a couple other books in here. There's uh, Now, this one I actually I, I do own as well, Star Trek The New Voyagers. This is the book. I'm pretty sure that this is the one that has – yes, it does, the Mind Sifter um story is in here where kirk goes back through the guardian and all that again love this book it's great i haven't read it in years i actually have two copies of it but i'm gonna keep this one too because each one of them has a different cover a very unique cover on it you know because there's subsequent printings and i love them all i can't decide uh-huh. what i like the best so i'm just gonna add it to the collection cause yeah really cool cover on it i would do um, the same thing also star trek uh, novel number 61, Sanctuary, by John Vor- Vornholt. I, it's not a name that uh, comes immediately to mind, but I think I have read one or two other things that he's done. Um, you know, just another in the, in the Star Trek novel series, but it's one I didn't have. So, hey, thank you. I'm going to uh, add that to the uh, collection, to the pile of all the Star Trek books I need to get to some, at some point. But what I was most excited about, this is truly, truly awesome. The Star Trek Blueprints. Ooh. Well, like, I'm sure this is plastic case. Yeah, but, you know, it's really cool. And the plastic case 
It's uh, the complete set of 12 authentic blueprints of the fabulous Starship Enterprise. And uh, this is really cool. I've I've seen this before. I think you used to own this, didn't you? I still do, yes. Yeah. See, I've, I never owned it, but I had seen it before, and I was always... I like stuff like this. I always think these are really cool to see exactly like, you know... You, you never got to see it on, like, the show or the movies or what, but what the Enterprise was really supposed to be like, and you get more of a sense of how it really was a, a city in space kind of thing. I, I, I'm a, such a sucker for stuff like that. I really like it. So, again, Dave, thank you so much, man. This was this was really, really, really awesome, and uh, we both sincerely appreciate it. Uh, I loves me some free swag. It, it makes me uh, feel like... Uh, like uh, podcasting has all been worth it. <laughs> yes, the long hours, the uh, you know, uh, living on the edge of divorce, that sort of thing. <laughs> it, it's all been worth it in the long run. <laughs> Slaving over a hot microphone. Exactly. Oh my God. Speaking of, it is it is like an oven in this room. I swear to God, I could you know I could I could set a turkey on my desk and it'd be ready by the end of the episodes because it is it is ungodly hot in this room. But you know. I got to do what I got to do, and I got to talk. That's what I got to do. But uh, if you guys can hear the fan running in the background, I do apologize. I feel so incredibly unprofessional with that kind of. Crap but there ain't no way you're turning that thing yeah, off. That's no way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, I'll, I'll I'll spontaneously combust at some point during the episode if I don't have a fan blowing on me. So. But uh, that's uh, that's it for as far as uh, preamble from me. I'm. Uh, oh wait, no, 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 I. You, you guys will get a kick out of this. I just remembered. Because I almost told this story last night, and then I remembered, um, wait a minute, we're doing Star Wars Monthly Monday, not Star Trek Monthly Monday, so I had to hold... Mm, uh, I remember Monday. that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so last night, my wife and I are driving in the car, right? And we're driving... I was driving her vehicle instead of my own for a change. So we, did, we only have one GPS unit, and I keep it in my car because I'm the one that has further distances to drive, and I don't... I still don't know my Florida geography worth a damn. So we're driving around, and we were looking for this restaurant that she was trying to get to, right? And so she's looking on her phone and trying to look up a menu and everything. I'm driving the car, and I remember her... I vaguely remember her saying something about, you know, look for such and such road and turn there. But I was listening to something in the car. I, I can't remember if it was a podcast or just music or what. My mind's a million miles away. I'm not, I'm, I'm just spacing, totally spacing. And I'm just driving, 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 driving. And at one point she kind of, you know, she finally pulls her nose out of her iPhone and she's like, where the hell are we? She's like, you missed your turn. And I don't know why, I probably because we were on our way to a restaurant to eat, and it had been hours since, I, if I had even eaten that day, I don't even remember, but I was just tired, I was hungry, I was thinking about, you know, all the crap I've got to get done, you know, and the days off I've, you know, remaining before I go, you know, just a million things. And so I kind of snapped, and I didn't mean to, but I, I snapped something to the effect of, uh, well, you're a shitty navigator. And she's like, you're you're the one that's driving the car, and I said, and I <laughs> here you go. <laughs> insight into the Gardner household. I start pointing at my chest and like stabbing myself in the chest, going Sulu, Sulu, and I'm pointing at her. I'm going check off, check off. I said, <laughs> you're the navigator. I'm the helmsman, and she's just looking at me like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, and I'm like. 
you know, if, if Kirk looks down from the command chair and says, Sulu, I need you to set a course for blah, blah, blah. Sulu's going to turn on and go, dude, that's not my friggin' job. I'm driving the goddamn car. You know, it's, I, it's that's Sulu's job. And I said, your uh, check off. Right? I said, that's your check off. Right? And she's just like giving me this like long suffering. Like, yeah. I know what you're talking about, but do you hear yourself look, you know? And it was, <laughs> and we both just started laughing. Like, like, <laughs> this is just crazy, you know, but. Anyway, I got. I, I was like, I've what's got what's a better up. analogy, really, it if you is, think about it? I mean, it's a perfect analogy because I tell you what, dude. As I get older, I I totally drive on freaking autopilot. I basically aim the car in the general direction of where I'm heading, just like Sulu, and I rely on either her or the annoying British woman in, that is my GPS voice to tell me where I'm going. If it, if it weren't for that, I, you know, I did, I'd end up driving off the end of the peninsula. No, you'd probably, you'd probably, do you just go on autopilot to like work or home? If you're not paying attention, you find yourself like taking your exit home or take, depending yeah. on which direction you're going. It happened tonight. We were driving up to Sanford so I could go to my LCS and we were going to go grab a quick bite to eat. And, uh, and she had to tell me to turn on to 417 um, North because I was headed to work. Yeah. And and it is scary. It really is because I've done this many times. And, you know, I, I sometimes I wonder how far I would get before I'd snap out of it and be like, oh, shit. You know? It would probably <laughs> be when you see the sign that says Walt, Walt Disney says World. Walt Disney World. Exactly. Yes. That's what scares me is that that you're absolutely right. That would probably be about the point that I'd be like, um, wait a minute. I was supposed to be going five miles north and instead I drove, you know, 45 minutes to work. You know? <laughs> it's scary. It's sad to admit it, but it's probably the God's honest truth. You're, you're not alone. I mean, I'm not a driver, but I ride with a lot of people and I find a lot of people like they're going, oh shit, I'm, I'm going to work. I'm yep. going to work. We are creatures of habit. Yes. Yep. It's, it's frightening. But anyway, I, I thought you might be amused by that. Yes, that, that's a true. That really happened last night. That's a true uh, life and uh, moment in the life, right just, there. Just adding, yeah, just adding another log onto the long suffering fire <laughs> of your wife. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I was looking here as we're uh, as we transition into talking about the the episode that we're going to be covering, uh, the Doomsday Machine. <sighs> What happened to your crew? Oh, we, we were dead. Mr. Sulu, you will lay in an evasive course back to the Constellation. Aye, aye, sir. Belay that last order, Helmsman. We're going to attack. You will carry out my last order, Mr. Sulu. I am assuming command of the Enterprise. But I would advise against it. Get us out of here. Prepare to beam me aboard on my signal. Gentlemen, I suggest you beam me aboard. And I'm looking here. Uh, my, my book that I cover the synopses out of, the uh, Star Trek Compendium, if it has one failing, is that it does not list air dates. So I'm looking here at something that gives me the air date. 
And it's October 20th, 1967. So that's actually my uh, wedding anniversary is October 19, or yeah, October 20th, rather. Oh, are you guys going to watch this on your anniversary? How romantic would that be? (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But, uh, don't you think I know that? October of 67, that would be, uh, that'd be a full six months before I was even born. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty weird. But uh, let me see. Let me jump into this, and I'll give you the uh, synopsis out of the Star Trek companion. I haven't read it yet, so let's see if uh, if it's a good one. Does it does just justice. Yeah, they're kind of hit and miss sometimes out of here. But uh, okay, so this is episode thirty-five, uh, and let's see. Investigating the destruction of several planetary systems, the Enterprise discovered the cripple discovers rather the crippled starship USS Constellation. Commodore Matthew Decker, the Constellation's captain, is discovered in a state of shock, the only person left aboard the ship. With his ship severely damaged, Decker had transported his entire crew down to a planet that has since been destroyed by the giant destructive agent, a berserker, planet-killing weapon constructed by a long-dead alien race. That's Kirk's supposition, by the way. That's not fact. Berserker. Uh, oh my god, I just lost my place here. Let's see. Oh, hey, game. Uh, while Kirk and a party uh, stay aboard to repair Constellation's engines and weapons system, Decker is beamed back to the Enterprise with McCoy. The guilt-ridden Decker takes command of the Enterprise and attempts to use the starship to confront and destroy the planet killer. Kirk contacts the Enterprise and enables Spock to take command away from Decker whereupon the Commodore steals a shuttlecraft and launches himself into the planet killer. Decker dies, but his strategy inspires Kirk to rig a uh, self-destruct switch on the Constellation and send the damaged ship into the huge alien device. A transporter malfunction almost prevents Kirk from escaping the Constellation in time, just before the ship's exploding engines destroy the Doomsday Machine's destructive power forever. That's an excellent synopsis. For once, yeah. Last last yeah. month they were duds. Yeah, that's actually a, a pretty dead-on and uh, and perfect uh, perfect synopsis. Um, I'm impressed. So, what do you think of the Doomsday Machine? I've always liked this episode. Uh, 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 but it's never been one of my favorites because of the crappy special effects. Mm-hmm. But I, for the first time, watched the the you know retooled version of it as as I always do for for these shows. And let me tell you, it is now one of my favorite episodes of all time. Mm-hmm. The 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 remastered and and fixed up version this one we've been taught we it's we're almost like broken records when we talk about how tastefully and subtly they've they've perked up these shows this one's out the window this one has all out special effects in a space battle the space battle the machine itself are just awesome in this. I, I, I found myself glued to this. Every time there was some of that new footage, it was just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like, just, you know, we, we get a, the, the space, the, uh, the old um, Doomsday Machine was just sort of this giant space cigar 
that slowly hung in space and like would chase the Enterprise and stuff. This thing feels like this thing is still a long tunnel. This thing feels like it's snapping on the Enterprise's heels mm-hmm. and ready to take a chomp out of it. And they they get a space battle that's right up there, I think, with Wrath of Khan. And still, while not um, taking it to to where you like you're watching two different episodes, it's right. seamless. Uh, I I cannot say enough good things about this episode which you know I you you and Randy and I used to watch it to watch Deckard chew the scenery mm-hmm. and I remember I kind of hated Decker as a kid I, w- I was like taking over the ship and stuff I have a more under of an understanding for his character in this one and so, so now everything's working in this show and and I was just I was it it got me going from the very from the first scene that they spot the constellation oh my god and and they come in at an angle and it's sort of just spinning in space and and chunks of it are taken out and there's uh there's asteroids bouncing off its hull and stuff really nice really spooky looking and uh you know what can i say about the battle it's got the enterprise riding up the side of this thing and strafing it yeah yeah it's just it's just beautiful in all the other ones we've seen so far of the remastered ones i really felt like like they were really paying uh careful attention and careful respect to the original footage and just trying to clean it up, give it an update, make it look a little less cheesy, but they were really being careful not to go too far. This particular one, I, f- I feel like all bets were off, and they pulled out all the stops Yeah, to a point where they even disregarded the way the original stuff played out, and they just beefed it up. And in you know normally, that sort of thing would really push my buttons, yes. but in this case, it doesn't. It's Awesome. Yep. They turn. They basically presented the story I always had in my mind's eye because I've always, always loved this episode. But it was it was in spite of the special effects, yes. not because of them. But now it looks the way I always vi- envisioned in my head that that it would look with the Enterprise. What I like is the Enterprise like ducks and weaves and strafes and you know I mean it, it really looks like almost like a fighter plane in a battle and it's really really exciting now can we start picking at the <laughs> sure, <other> stuff? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely right off the bat that the uh, the new communication officer is a bad actress can't fix <laughs> that with special effects that's but that's uh, okay oh what is her name she's only in one other episode it's um uh... oh keep going i'll think of it um decker I forgot how much Decker just goes nuts in this, and I shouldn't have forgot because this was a another prime Randy. You know, don't you think I know that? <laughs> how many times Randy see that? You know, and of course I cracked up when I saw that because I'm just like, oh yes, that's right. But isn't Decker? Doesn't he remind you of like a mixture of Kirk, Van Gelder, and Pike mixed together something yeah somewhat yeah when he's all slack jawed and and his face is all scurfed up he's pike like van gelder you know when he's babbling and kirk i mean when he's acting he acts with his hands like shatner he's almost like 
I, I almost pictured him as maybe Shatner, or not Shatner, but Kirk. You know, they, they knew each other, so maybe Kirk had, had uh, was sort of a younger version of this guy. This guy might have been one of Kirk's heroes, because they have that same sort of delivery of lines you know the actor that plays Decker and the and the and the act and the actor that plays Kirk Shatner <laughs> have that same like over the top delivery and when Decker beats the hell out of the guy that's taking him down to the brig that's a Kirk beat down big oh, time yeah. I love uh, their face. It actually it. reminds me of a uh, of a Charlton Heston beat down in a lot. Of <laughs> well, like, he like, be- he beats him savagely. Kirk usually gets him out in one or two punches, but this guy just beats the guy down. I love how he r- runs in- into the door, and then you just see the guy's legs go rip <laughs> in the door. <laughs> what what's with his pretzel patch? Was this like? You know what's funny is uh, is I have a note here that Logan said exactly the same thing. Why does he have a pretzel on his chest? And then I was reading the article in the Star Trek Compendium about this episode, and that's how they refer to it as well as they refer to it as a pretzel. So it's funny that that all three of it, you independently came up with that. It, it um, looks like he, he's driving like a wise delivery truck or something. You know, <laughs> what I had told Logan, and I'm pretty sure this is right, is that. Um, Prior to the end of the five-year mission, every starship, every star base, basically everyone in Starfleet, everybody had different emblems for wherever it was they worked. So you'll notice that whenever we chance across other starships, which doesn't happen a whole lot, but whenever we do, they have a different emblem on their chest. They don't have the chevron because that was specifically for Kirk and the Enterprise crew. After the end of the five-year mission, with it presumably ending as a huge success and Kirk and his crew became legends and all that, Starfleet-wide, they adopted the Chevron as the emblem of Starfleet, and they changed it after that. Because from Star Trek The Motion Picture on, anytime you see someone in Starfleet, they have the Chevron and, and instead of individual patches. Yeah, that's, that's what I just, I, I just assumed at that point in the series, they just assumed every ship had a different little little right. bit, you know and that and that just changed over time the only one i can remember off the top of my head is in the one where they uh i'm trying to remember what the name of that episode is it's the one where they beam down to the planet and um dagger the mine it's in dagger the mine when they beam down to the the penal colony the creepy doctor dude that puts kirk in the yes. neutralized he has that weird one that looks like uh what is it like it's like a olive branch and a hand or some stupid thing i i forget i don't I've, remember yeah but i know what you're talking about it I, was probably like the starfleet because i remember having the star you know the the starfleet manuals and stuff and it was probably right, right. you know this was for psychiatry you know the it, right. they were almost like boy scout merit badges and stuff right <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! You've completed the neural neutralizer campaign. <laughs> now you can start working on your 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 screwing green chicks patch. <laughs> what else you got? Um, uh, my, my it was really funny. I haven't seen this in so long. When uh, when Decker took over, I was like, Jesus Christ! Has it? Have it? Hasn't it already been established right now that McCoy, with a wave of his arm, could? Just be like, nope, you don't. 
qualify. And then like three lines later, there, you know, he's like, I can relieve you of command. And then it was like, well, you have, I have to give him the test before I can relieve him of command. I, I'm like, I don't buy that. I think he could use his, his, um, expertise, you know, right. he, right. That guy, I mean, that's what he kind of threatened Kirk with. He, he's kind of threatened Kirk a couple of times to just cut him right off at the pass. So. It's hard for me to, to nitpick this episode only because I really, really love it and uh, I don't like seeing the 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 you know the, the weak points in it. But one one piece of dialogue I always did hate in an otherwise pretty damn near perfect episode. I mean, there's so many lines that I picked out of this to comment on that that just great, great dialogue in this. But there was one moment that's that's always bugged me from when I was a kid watching this, and it's the part where Spock says, well, if you can certify him unfit for command, blah, blah, blah. And McCoy's like, oh, yeah, hell yeah, I'll do that right now. And then Spock's like, but then you'll have to, you know, yeah. provide you. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> you know that he can't do that. So why the hell did you even bring it up? You know, and it's really stupid. It, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. And, it, and all I can think of is it's just to pad the episode out you know it's like maybe they were running a couple minutes behind or i don't know it's just it's a very clunky piece of dialogue because spock is pointing out an option that he knows is not really an option it's pointless i agree i i, th- I another thing i didn't like i didn't like kirk i thought the uh the uh a bomb reference was unnecessary the you know that they had to spell out that it's it's like the a bomb of the 20th century but that's that's a standard complaint of mine that they keep referencing the 20th century. Yeah, but and, you got to remember that, you know, Nam was happening at right. the time. And, you know, there was the there was always, I'm sure, that, that thought in the back of people's minds is, as the situation escalated and that war got right. uglier and uglier and we're in people's living rooms at night, was, um, what's his name, going to use the A-bomb eventually? And I think that that... that this may have been a subtle reference to, you know, we don't want to be doing that. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to always fall back in every war on, on using the A-bomb. So, you know, at least that's my guess anyway, you know, but I, I think it's a fairly reasonable guess. Um, well, you know, the, all this good dialogue that, that reminds me, this was a, a script. The script for this one was Norman Spinrad, a science fiction author. And, and now I'm going to be embarrassed like you were last uh, and the Star Wars Monthly Monday. I can't remember who put the post in our um, forum. I haven't looked at the link yet, but they just discovered some long-lost Norman Spinrad yeah. script for an old Star Trek show. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's going to get released in some form somewhere. So that should be really fun to read because this is a really re- well-written episode. This is this is yes, right is. up there, you know. It, and uh, you could tell that they, they had... Those few tasty science fiction writers that they got, you know, to to write um, episodes. So those episodes got to be, you know, usually ended up being the the crown jewels of of this show. And uh, this definitely, I think this episode has always been one of the the crown jewels of the show because the story is so strong. The character of Decker is is a good character and you know and he has a really awesome arc in this you know and uh yeah but now it's even now that it's been doctored up it's even more so it's right up there with city on the edge of forever 
with me. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. See, this is I have always considered this to be a truly great episode to present to people that are like, what's so great about Star Trek anyway? Mm-hmm. It's just a bunch of cheese and stupid looking aliens and green monster women and stuff like that. This is an episode to pull out and go, no, this is why Star Trek's awesome. Because it's a well-written episode. It's full of tension. It's got a great score. The acting is, is really good. There's only one or two really cheesy moments. Most of them are at Shatner's hands. And, uh, and I think William Wyndham did a hell of a job as Commander Deck- or Commodore Decker. In oh, this. Yeah. The funny thing is, is that he didn't think much of his performance. He said he actually went into it with a thought of, ah, this is science fiction. I can just you know, do it as like a cartoon character kind of thing. And he is very over the top, but I don't, I don't see him as cheesy. I think he de- delivers a top-notch performance in this. Well, in the context of Star Trek, he's not over the top for sure. Um, right. And you got to remember, I, I looked at this. I looked at him as sort of this is what could happen to Kirk someday. You know, this, this is what would happen to Kirk oh, if, yeah. he, if he beamed his crew down to, to a planet and they got eaten. He'd go crazy, too. I, I think he I think he and Kirk are very 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 similar. That's maybe why he was sort of taking the the cue from William Shatner too. But um, yeah. I mean, I thought I I mean, who wouldn't be a little bit? I'm I'm I I mean, personally, if if I would have gotten him from the ship, I wouldn't have had him. I would have had him strapped down in sick bay and and uh, just shot him full of tranquilizers, you know, and said, "Here, man, sleep it off." <laughs> <laughs> You know, calm down. You know, because the 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 thing about it, when you hear the story of what happened with him, it wasn't really his fault. And when I was a kid, I didn't think this through. I thought he, I always thought of it as he sort of screwed up and killed his crew, and then he was eager to screw up and and destroy the Enterprise. Right. And so I hated him. You know, I thought of him as the bad guy of the episode. But now that I look at it, I don't think Kirk would have done much different than he did. <laughs> you know, I think right. I think Kirk would have taken over the Enterprise and started strafing it, even though he knew that it wasn't going to do anything. And he was sitting there, and and you got to remember, he's he's actually seen this thing and viscerally felt the effects of you know of its thing. And then he's got Spock in his face going, well. Let's run away and call Starfleet, you know? Right. And it's just like, no way. He's not going to do it. He's not. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't think about that. He was just not going to let that get to that colony. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and even if he had to sacrifice the Enterprise. And actually, you know, that that would be a good sacrifice, you know, uh, a starship for a starship full of people even for a planet. So he, his character is, you know gained a lot more uh depth and uh sympathy from me right on this on this uh viewing of it for sure i mean i i I literally may go back in a couple days and watch this again (laughs) just to it's it's one of those hey you know i watch the star trek shows a lot of time and it's just kind of a nice it's it's fun and it's nice and it reminds me of you know watching it as a kid but this one I was hooked in. Hooked in like a movie. I was I was um It is very movie like. Yes, and it and it's and it's just very exciting. And and this is one of those Star Trek episodes that really um it, it, it it's had the music the music to it is a lot of it's stock 
the stock no music. No, well, actually, well, it's, it it's, became stock music, but this this is actually an original, almost completely original score. I did notice okay. one moment in it. Um, I'm trying to remember where it was exactly in the episode. It, it's in my notes. Well, and I'll cover well, it. Well, you know that one theme, though. Wah, 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 That's original wah. to this episode. Yeah, and and I was just about to say that music goes so perfectly with the doom with the actual machine, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that was one. And and I was thinking that was just a, this wasn't the first time. So I was like. That's the first time this music is synced up perfectly with something going <laughs> on. And that makes sense because it was written for that machine. So, but I've had that in my head all 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 day since I watched that. It's <laughs> one of <laughs> best <laughs> soundtracks of of the original series. And what's really just blows my mind is you know not long ago, although uh, the listeners haven't heard it yet, we just recorded our Jaws commentary episode for Commentary Monthly Monday. And so I've had the Jaws music in my head, you know, all week long. And uh, and I was thinking as I was watching this and, and listening to the soundtrack, how much it's very similar to mm. Jaws in the in the sense of, you know, a lot of times the music is the, the doomsday machine just the same way as, as William yeah. Skull is the shark. And damned if I don't see the same thing on the article I'm looking at here. At, what site is this? This is, uh, oh, this is Wikipedia. It says, uh, this is one of the few Star Trek episodes for which original music was written, in this case, a full score by Saul Kaplan. It says, writer James uh, Lilacs uh, notes uh, that the music cues for this episode are, quote, intended to belong together, and that's one of the reasons the episode works like few others. It has a unique symphonic score. Uh, played start to finish, it holds together. Jeff Bond notes, although he wrote only two scores for the series, New York composer Saul Kaplan's music was tracked endlessly throughout the show's first two seasons. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's that's why it doesn't, you know, you, you can watch other episodes and then see this one and, and don't realize that it's original to it, but it is. It says so both they were Lyle- using the music before they even used it for the episode on other right. episodes. Wow. Well, that, here's the part that blows efficient. you away. It says both Lilacs and Bond point out similarities between this music and John Williams' award-winning score for Jaws a decade later. <laughs> it just blows me away because I've been thinking that all week long, how, how similar these soundtracks are. And there it is from, you know, like soundtrack experts saying the same thing. So I thought that was really cool. But uh, there was a moment in the episode, though, where I, I heard music and I was like, oh, where that's not from this. This is That's from... Doesn't it have dun 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 in it? Oh, it may. I may have missed that. It, it may have had that, but it was. Um, oh, it was the part where uh, where Kirk is laying out his plan to to use the constellation to try to destroy the the machine. And there's a moment where you hear the dun dun dun, dun and uh, Spock says, uh, "Jim, you'll be killed just like Decker." That music is from the Naked Time. Well, and I have, used in I, the Naked. It may not even be original to that episode. I know either. exactly what you're talking about, and I have a suspicion that that was that they may have added that into. I we'll have to see. Check out the old one. I have a feeling they popped that in there to time out a special effect because if 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 I recall right, when you hear that 
Ba-ba-ba-bum. You're looking down at the CG at the top of the you know the do- the dome the um the uh, saucer of the of the Enterprise, and it's sort of turning you know. And I think maybe they were like, uh, we need something in here to just like keep music going, you know. So maybe they might have lifted a little bit of score from something else to put in there, you know. And, and I mean, and you only need like two seconds. Ba 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 bam is perfect, you know. Could be. I I just had be. that suspicion when I saw it. Something about it said, add it on. But you know, as all awesome episodes of Star Trek. I don't really have much more notes on this one. Oh, dude, I have got a million oh, well, notes on this well, one. Well, let's, uh, let's oh, get cracking thing, on your notes. I think the first time I... Uh, this may have been the first remastered episode I ever watched. I'm not sure of that, but it was one of the ones that really sold me on remastering because I saw this and was just like, wow. You know? Well, I remember... It, I, I I seem to remember uh, that a conversation with you, me, and BiblioMike talking about this one when the remasters came out, and you guys had seen it, and I was like, I think I'm going to wait for the show, you know, till we get to it, so... But I, I remember that. That was like a couple of years ago. It was a while ago. And I didn't realize that they actually remastered the score, too. Because I think when I watched this before, I may have watched it on the computer. When I watched it today for the show, I watched it, you know, in the living room on, you know, on the DVD player. And the score is in stereo, surround, and everything. I mean, it sounds beautiful. And I was like, they've definitely, you know either went back and found like original masters or just remastered the soundtrack but it was you know it was on like really rich surround sound and it just blew me away i thought that was really cool um it's weird that this is a second season episode and it's missing uh you know two of the seven dwarves you don't have uh, ahura or Chekhov in this episode i thought that was really weird it might have been one of those weird scheduling things where they were on vacation at that time well, see, I always considered this to be a first-season episode because it didn't have Ahura in it. But it doesn't have Chekhov either, so that makes it really strange because I thought that Chekhov was in pretty much all of the second-season episodes, but I guess not. Um, you know, you had commented about the like the remastered debris field. That That's just awesome. Like, where they're flying in, it, it kind of reminds me of, like, when the Millennium Falcon comes out of light speed, you know, near where, yes. where Alderaan was, and there's just all the bits of debris and stuff floating around. It's very much or, like that. I or that a minor awesome. scale of in the um, the new movie when they come out of out of uh, warp and you know, they, yeah, and and all of a sudden there's just a debris field with smash ships. Yeah, crap all over the place. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, but yeah, I, I, every every scene of the remastered footage, I, I I loved every one of them. It really looked good, especially the constellation looked really sharp. Like the, you get a real close up where you can actually see like the interior lattice work of how the saucers put together mm-hmm. and stuff. And it, and it reminded me, and it felt very authentic to me because it reminded me of when you can actually see the saucer disintegrating in Star Trek in three. three you know, just before the Enterprise blows up, you know, you can see that actually crumbling and disintegrating, and it looks very similar. I thought that was really, really cool. This has one of the best teasers of, of and, and honestly, in all of Star, I was going to say the original series, but really in all of Star Trek, this is one of those those teasers right before the opening credits that 
just sells the whole episode. You know, the the music is great, the setup is great. Something big is going down. Mm-hmm. Planets are getting destroyed. You know, it's it's really exciting. Um, you know, I mean, I, I again, I I can't say enough good things about the remastering. I mean, they just they made a great episode greater. You know, and and that shouldn't really even be possible, but they really did. They they made one that I always loved even better. It, it's really a fantastic episode. I, um, I agree. I even think they even made it even probably a little more uh, like I was always split on this 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 one. And now it's yeah, as soon as they fixed that, it was just like, wow, you know, <laughs> it's every all the pins fell in line. You got green shirted Kirk in this. He's got the wraparound tunic. Uh-huh. In this. I was never a big fan of the wraparound tunic, although he does look pretty cool in this. And I wonder if they did that in this one just to distinguish him from Decker. You know, so you didn't yeah. have two two captains. You know, in in the similar outfits and all. I'm I'm not really sure, but my wife at one point was like, "What is that shirt he's wearing?" <laughs> um. What's with the security presence on the bridge through the whole episode? I mean, they're they're almost like a, a Chekhov's gun kind of thing because eventually there's that one scene where Spock just kind of is it Spock that does it? Yeah, he's kind of lifts his hand and they come, you know, descending down the stairs to to possibly arrest Decker. But I mean, that's a long way to go for that one little moment to have them actually there throughout the entire episode. You know what I mean? I mean, because I don't remember any other episodes where you had security people just standing around the entire time. Yeah, maybe they were related really to the director or something. <laughs> as awesome as this episode is, it does have a few cheese moments in it, and uh, they're almost all Shatner. The moment where he's just badgering Matt Decker. And I mean, the man is obviously not well. You know, they, they found him in there. He can't even form coherent sentences. He's doing the whole Van Gelder thing. And Kirk gets right in his face. And he's like, answer me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, dude, Jesus, back off. And McCoy actually does say something to him. He's like, Jim, you know, can't you see this guy's, a, you know, just batshit crazy, you know, back <laughs> off. But it was just, it's a great moment where, you know, Shatner's just hamming it up. Which he doesn't do a whole lot of in this. You know, he's actually quite restrained in this episode, but that was the one moment where you kind of see the shat come out, you know. He it's gets pretty... to take a little of a back seat in this one, actually. Yeah, he does. All the conflict is between Spock and Spock and um and Deckard. Absolutely. Um needs to be pointed out, Matt Decker. I don't know if this was ever like an official continuity anywhere, but it was definitely uh pointed out in Gene Roddenberry's uh novelization of Star Trek the Motion Picture that Matt Decker is the father of Will Decker, who was briefly the captain of the Enterprise in uh, the motion picture before he went off to be part of uh, V'ger and all that crap. So, uh, let's see, moving on. I love, one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing is where Decker's giving, you know, basically the, the, the story of what happened. And Kirk just has the line where he says, you know, there is no third planet. And Decker just gets that great, creepy, weird look yeah. at his face with his lip. And so he just looks really good. Don't you think I know that? It's just hysterical. 
I can remember Randy would do. He he would act out a lot of stuff. He, in this he would just be waiting for any opportunity to to use his favorite Star Trek lines, even yeah. if they didn't even fit into the context of what was going on. Right. <laughs> but that was always one of his favorite mm-hmm. ones. I got it got a. Um, there's a, a brief shot in here that I know got recycled into a lot of episodes. It may even be recycled in this one and not be original to the episode. I'm not sure. But it's that classic shot of something exciting happening on the view screen and Sulu looks back over his shoulder at the viewer. I always liked that. I always thought that was a really cool, uh, really cool you know, moment in Star Trek when Sulu would... You know, he's supposed to be looking back at the captain, right. but because of the perspective of the camera, he's actually looking at us, the viewer, and I always thought that was really cool. It was, it was the moment where he was... you, you you got a nice little visual cue of, you know, are you catching this? You know, it's kind of the look on his face is like, are, are, you, are you seeing this too? I always thought that was really cool. Uh, Spock has more of his, uh, his goofy, useless lines in this where somebody calls him up and says, you know, the, the Framistat broke or something. And he goes, effect repairs. <laughs> no shit, dude. I was just going to let it be broke. You know, I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to do anything about it. I'm just telling you. It's like, Ah, they do that kind of thing on Star Trek a lot too. You know, where where, you know, somebody calls up to the bridge to tell them something important, and they say the most obvious response. You know, um, you know, the warp drive's broken. Well, well get right on repairing it. And it's like, <laughs> what? The, just one of these days, I want to hear like Jordy or Scotty or somebody just go, oh, "What? What the hell do you think I'm doing down here?" <laughs> you know. You know? <laughs> I'm sorry, Captain. We got a card game going down here. We'll get right on it after that. <laughs> it's my lunch break. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I lo- I really enjoy the the uh, the standoff between Spock and and Decker in this. Uh, it's it's really really well acted, especially on uh, on Spock's po- uh, part in it because he has a point and he's right. But he comes off as, I mean, he's like the perfect Vulcan in this one because he's, he's very, you know, he's, he's very logical, but he's also like completely dispassionate to a point of almost cruelty because he, he points out to, to Decker, you know, about his crew being killed and, you know, him making errors in judgment and things like that. He's making a point, but it's really uncomfortable too, the way he does it. it. It's not a situation where you would want to actually be there present while it was happening because it's just one of those fights where you just want to be somewhere else you know (laughs) Uh, really really needles decker it makes decker uncomfortable um the turkey baster that we were talking about um i missed it where was it but what episode were we just i think it was like last i think it was like the last last one what the hell was last month they went down oh it was trelane when the guy had to signal up to to the Enterprise right, with right. the Easter, Kirk was using it to help repair the uh, the view screen on the constellation. In this, he's laying on the floor using the turkey baster. I, I was like, "Hey, there it is again." <laughs> <laughs> I li- I liked how I think they even messed with the view screen a little bit. They made it look a little more video like, or a little oh, less like yeah. an old fifties TV warming up. Absolutely. Yeah, my next note was uh, when Kirk gets the view screen working, the very first shot after the, the, you know, the screen's doing like that fuzzy, like static effect. 
but as soon as it goes clear and you can see an image on it, that first effect is awesome. It's the Enterprise skimming along the top of the Doomsday Machine, firing the phasers like crazy. And it looks really, From really... From a distance, yeah. And, and yeah. Kirk's like, whoa! Because he hasn't had any idea what's going on up to that point. And he's just like, oh, let's see what the Enterprise is up to. Hey! <laughs> now, I like in the remastered edition where the Enterprise... Something happens. It exhausts the phasers or exhausts the warp drive. Something happens. Or the warp... I think the warp drive gets knocked out. And... They get locked in a tractor beam, and the Doomsday Machine is actually pulling the Enterprise into its maw. And as it's, it's, it's being pulled in, it's actually like rotating and turning backwards. And, and, and so you can see that the ship's trying to get away, but it's being drawn like inexorably inside the thing. And it's really well done. It looks really cool as it's slowly rotating around backwards. And it reminded me of uh, there's a very similar effect in uh, the 2009 Trek movie with the black hole at the end of the movie that mm, they almost mm-hmm. don't get out of. I thought that was really cool. Um, I love the sound when they finally start to get the the constellation going and it's going like because yeah. I had that sounded just like that once when you try to crank it over if it was cold out or something. Another line that uh, that Randy used to use all the time. You mean you're the lunatic responsible for almost destroying my ship? You remember? I just say that all the friggin' time. I think this is one of his favorite episodes. I should have tried to get him on for this one because uh, I, I know he used to really like this one. The uh, the fight, you know, you already commented on the fight with Decker and the security guard, but did you notice all the scuff marks on the floor at the end of that fight? No. I always thought it was carpeted. You know, or, or something on the on the inter- you know, like I don't know, some some sort of surface that wasn't just like planks of wood or something. But after that fight's all done, there are scuff marks, like heel marks, all over the floor in that part. I thought that was that was very funny. You'd think they'd have a a fancier surface in the twenty you know twenty third century that wouldn't leave boot scuff marks all, especially or with the fact that everybody's wearing boots. You or know, some sort of space material that's scuff proof anyway, right? Um, one of my favorite lines in this, toward the end, when uh, when Decker's, you know, when he finally just loses it and he goes out in the shuttlecraft to kill himself, I always like when Kirk tells him, you know, no one expects you to die for an error in judgment. I always thought that was a really good line. I, I don't know why. I, get, I think part of it is just the way that, that Shatner delivers the line, but it's a really good line. And, you know, a moment or two later, he offers, you know, he... Uh, uh, says another good line some uh something to the effect you know you're a starship captain that makes you a value valuable, valuable commodity yeah uh... yeah he's trying to talk decker down you know just the things that he says you know it, it, it's well acted well written and uh and he really comes off as as sincere and and really doing his best to make a a good argument for trying to pull his friend back i, I like that a lot and i like i always like spock's line a lot you know, where he says, you know, may I offer my condolences on the death of your friend? There's something about the way he delivers that line that I, I like a lot because it's, I think that's the first moment in the whole episode where Spock actually, you know, shows a little bit of, uh, of compassion. Yes. And he's just a complete hard ass like he is through the whole rest of the episode. Because to a certain degree, Spock almost, 
I think you could make something of an argument that Spock almost drove Decker to the to the extreme that he finally took, you know, by by just being the way he was toward him, mm-hmm. being like dismissive and also as Decker viewed it, probably wimpy. <laughs> right. Spock was think... being very Picard-like, actually, in in some ways. Some way, yeah, that's true. I love Scotty in this episode. He has some of the best lines in this. When he says, uh, you know, when Kirk says something to him about, you know, can you rig this thing to blow up? And he goes, yeah, the shape this thing's in, it's hard to keep it from. It reminds me of my father working on cars. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> this friggin' piece of shit, I can't hardly keep it running anyway. And there is a great, a great moment in this episode where he says something in Gaelic. He says, like, I think he says Borgus Frat, whatever the hell that means. But I interpret it to be like, Oh, this goddamn piece of mm-hmm. shit! And oh, he sure. Up Jeffrey's tube to go, you know, to go beat something with a wrench or something. I love that moment. It just cracks me up because the whole scene—it's supposed to be very tense and very dramatic and like, oh my god, how are they get out of this? It's unintentionally, at least I think, unintentionally funny. But it's really funny. They get to that crucial moment where everything depends on what's going to happen next. Kirk pushes the button and says, okay, beam me aboard. They push the button. As soon as somebody, and I think it's Kyle, pushes the button, there's that big, like, boom, and a bunch of smoke pours out of the transporter. And Scotty's just like, "Ah, son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) And storms up the Jeffries tube. I love that scene every time I see it. Because, again, you know, growing up with a mechanic father, it just it seems so completely believable and real to me because that's the kind of thing he would do. You know, it's like he just spent six hours working on this engine and, and you know, all right, crank her over, let's see what happens, and you you have like a fireball come out of the black and like you know, at the back of it and like, you know, blow the manifold off or something, you'd be like, ah, shit <laughs> <laughs> throwing his throwing his wrenches and it's it completely reminded me of something like that. I thought it was awesome. Um, he has a, a really good line about, uh, what is it, something about a, a, a fussy, cr- I think he said cranky, a cranky transporters, nothing to bet your life on or something like that. I thought that was a really good line. And uh, I noticed that they were really doing the, uh, what was uh, Radar O'Reilly, what was that actor's name, Gary Gary Berghoff, very Gary Berghoff, yeah. Gary Berghoff, that that Scotty was really doing the Gary Berghoff thing a lot in this episode. Where watch his one step ahead. No, well, no, you watch the one. I can't remember which hand it is. I want to say it's his left hand. Pretty sure it's his left hand. Um, He was missing a finger. You know, as a matter of fact, I, I want to pose a question to the listeners because I know we have some uh, some listeners, um, you know, that are, that are really familiar with classic TV. If, if, any, if anybody knows the reason why back in the day, you know, you, you weren't allowed to show like physical deformities on TV and stuff. Somebody write in and let us. I, I'm dying to know were what they, the reason Were they not why. allowed to or maybe the actors just didn't want people to see that they were missing it, a finger or something? It, Maybe that was it, but I know that they they did it with Gary Berghoff all through Mash. That he, I don't, I can't remember if it was a hand or a foot, but something with him was messed up. And, well, a foot and they, you wouldn't I, really be running into it too much on a right, TV show. I think I think it's a hand though. But so there was something. 
something wrong with him and they covered it up through the entire show of MASH. You never, you never knew it. And then the same thing with Scotty up until I think it's Star Trek V where they finally uh, stopped playing around with that. But in this episode, not, you know, once you know it, you can't unsee it. If you watch this episode, it's actually pretty blatant that he's making a point that you never see both of his hands, you know, or, or this one hand because he, he was actually missing a digit on it. And I, I was just watching that going, you know, for one, it was really well done unless you're, you, you know, to watch for it. But then also it got me to thinking, well, why did they do that? I just don't understand. I don't know if it was a TV thing. I don't know if it was a censorship thing. It could be distracting, you know, people be like, Hey, what happened to his finger instead of playing, paying attention yeah. to the plot, you know? But, you know, I, I mean, if there's one character that it, it actually works for, it would be somebody like a mechanic or an engineer. Well, you right. Know I mean? Just have, have plausible that, that in the course of his life, as an engineer that, you know, he'd lost a finger in some piece of machinery. It's perfectly logical. Early on in season one, you have an explosion. That, uh, well, he'll be okay, but, you know, his finger was completely vaporized, you know. Right. Yeah. It could have been as simple or as that. Or maybe they thought in, in, in that time there would be no stumps of fingers, that they would have ways of growing him back or giving him a Luke Skywalker finger or something, you know. And so they were <laughs> like, yeah, well, you know. But Scotty could have been just an old-fashioned guy who didn't want any of that mumbo-jumbo on it. I don't know. Right. I, I'd be very curious to see see why that was. Sometimes I wonder what some of the other officers and crew members think of Kirk. Because uh, I love the moment when it's so tense and so well-acted and everything, but they finally do, by the skin of their teeth, manage to pull Kirk off the constellation just before it finally blows up and he beams in and it's a really nice effect and everything. And the moment he solidifies, he runs out of the room and runs up to the bridge. Doesn't say thank you. Doesn't say that was close or, you know, good job. Anything just takes off. And I'm thinking, you know, somebody like Kyle would be like, oh, what an nope. asshole. no problem, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't, you're, maybe wouldn't you're welcome. So hard next time. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I would love that. I would love to see him, you know, as the doors are closing. He's like, yeah, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> um, Palmer was the woman's name I was trying to think of because I, I had made a note that, you know, while this episode uh, didn't have a her or a Chekhov, it does have Palmer and Kyle. And I always liked Kyle, you know. Again, this goes back to my thing about, you know, people want to make sure that, you know, every movie that's out there, including, you know, now the new rebooted stuff, you know, has, you know, the, the core seven. What about like Kyle? I mean, Kyle was in a lot of episodes too. You know, what about like Janice Rand? She wasn't in the new movie either. So I, I just, you know, just making a point. Oh, I loved, I love this note. Okay. At the very tail end of the episode, again, with the, uh, I can't remember if he says H-bomb or A-bomb, but A-bomb. He, uh, Kirk, Kirk is making an analogy about you know the a bomb and the 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 doomsday machine the the whole you know he's basically giving us the moral of the story type of thing and he said that uh you know back in the 20th century blah 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 you know they use a bomb blah 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 and we use something very similar to take out another doomsday machine ha 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 probably the first time such a device was used for constructive purposes hmm kind of takes the piss out of first contact doesn't it 
because they made a real point of pointing out in First Contact that the Phoenix ship that Zephram Cochran used to break the warp barrier used to be a nuclear missile. So, uh, yeah, I I thought that was worth pointing out because I'm not a fan of First Contact, so I felt I felt vindicated when I caught that one. Uh, just want to make a quick mention about a uh, William Wyndham is uh, in a in I, I think he's a great actor, but I haven't seen him in a lot of other stuff. But uh, he is in one of my absolute favorite movies, which is uh, Escape from the Planet of the Apes. He played the president of the United States in that one. Oh, I could see that. And uh, he was really good. He was really, really good in that one. And he also uh, came back, believe it or not, he came back from the dead and reprised the role of, uh, of Commodore Decker in Star Trek Phase 2. It was that episode uh, in harm's way. You know, I haven't seen a whole lot of Phase 2. I've only seen three or four episodes. But that one I've seen, and it was actually surprisingly good. I, I, and that was a total geek-out moment for me when... Uh, they open the door in that one part and they go in and, you know, they were looking for Decker and there he is and played by the same guy. I thought that was pretty damn cool. That was pretty- I haven't seen that one yet, so I'm going to have to watch that. Oh, really? Oh, did I? I'm sorry. I, didn't mean to, I thought for sure you had seen it. I didn't mean to spoil it for you. I've seen most of them, but that's the only one I haven't seen. It's really, really good. Something I was looking at today said that this was uh, Jimmy Doohan's favorite episode, which, you know, makes perfect sense. But it was DC Fontana's least favorite episode. I wonder why. I don't know if I buy that. I mean, that you know, I mean, is that just like a quick answer she would throw if asked, or was she really sincere? Because I mean, seriously, you're going to rank something like Fox Brain or uh, the the Cloudminders, the Cloudminders over this one. I would love to know the reason. I mean, is it because it's not real deep on character stuff, and you know? expanding uh, the universe or whatever or, i think or, it is kind of deep on character I, I stuff do, I would, yeah I, you know i do um maybe it, maybe she didn't like norman spinrad maybe there was just one thing uh, ab- uh, about the writing of it though that she just hated you know sometimes there might be one element that ruined it for her, you know who knows yeah i don't know i'd love to get an answer though and not only did uh did decker come back the doomsday machines come back a couple of times because in uh, in Vendetta, which was a Star Trek: The Next Generation book, it's uh, I think that's the one that's billed as the giant novel. It's about the Borg. I have that one. Yeah. Have you ever read it? No. It's really really good. I haven't read it in years, and I, I only remember like, you know, the the basic outline of it. I don't remember a lot of the details. But uh, in that one, it was sort of. It was kind of set up and sort of like, I, I think that it was like supposition or what, but I think that eventually this did more or less become embraced as canon that the preservers, which are the people that I, I'm pretty sure they're the same guys that like set up the obelisk on, uh, you know, in uh, Paradise Syndrome yes. and stuff, that, uh, that they had created the Doomsday Machine as a weapon against the Borg. And then... This is where it kind of ended up being all tied in because uh, Peter David wrote that book, Vendetta. Well, he ended up revisiting in that idea in the book um, Before Dishonor, which I've actually reviewed here on Star Trek Monthly Monday. That was a great book. And in that book, um, it's basically in that that book, and there was a multi-chapter saga. I forget where Before Dishonor fell in, if that was the last book or not. I, I can't remember now. 
but the whole saga was really, really good. And in that one, um, the Federation is getting their ass kicked by a full-fledged Borg invasion. And so old Spock, you know, Spock of the future, Geordi LaForge and Seven of Nine, they actually go to where the, you know, the burned out doomsday machine, you know, the remains of the doomsday machine have been kept all these years in like this, it's basically like a space museum kind of thing. And they go there and they find a way to reactivate it and use it as a, as a Borg fighting machine to fight for the Federation. It was, it might sound a little goofy, but it was actually really, really cool. And, uh, I had discovered today what I was, you know, just kind of looking to see, you know, if, if it had been used anywhere else. There was a comic series that I wasn't even aware of until today. It was a three or four issue miniseries um, at the time when uh, DC had reacquired the rights to some of the Star Trek stuff and uh, they were publishing Star Trek under the Wildstorm imprint. There was a series by, uh, by Wildstorm. It was uh, called Star Trek Voyager. Um, I think it's just called Doomsday Machine or something. Let me see. I'll, let me look it up real quick. I had the name earlier. Now I lost it. But uh, I haven't read it. But I, I want to find this and read it because it looks like it might be really, really – I mean, the art looks really fantastic. But I just like the idea that it's uh, you know, a sequel to this episode that I really, really like. And I like Voyager. Oh, The Planet Killer. That was the name of it. Star Trek Voyager, The Planet Killer. So I'm going to have to check that out at some point, and uh, I'll try to report back on if it's, uh, if it's any good or not. Yeah. But I thought it, uh, you know, I was excited to, uh, to learn about that. It wasn't something I was aware of before. That's pretty much it on this one as far as my thoughts or whatever. Uh, I like this one. This, this one's right up there for me. And uh, you know, when we finally finish up and wrap up with uh, with reviewing all of uh, TOS, and we look back and try to pick our, our favorite episodes, I, I'm I'm wondering where this one's going to rank because I think very highly of this episode. I think it's a damn near perfect Star Trek episode. It's definitely going to be in my top five, battling in the top five for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. But that's all I got. You want to take a little break and then come back with the comic? With some comic books, yes comic bookery sweet we'll be right back and guy gardner is a douche uh, especially guy gardner who was being a bit of a douchebag but uh he wasn't really listening that's guy's like that. thing yeah, but that that's his other superpower. <laughs> Speaking of Guy Gardner, page 19, I resent the brain damage comment. He was just a character I found extremely grating. Wow, the internet seems to be filled with people who really can't stand the character of Guy Gardner. I mean, to some extent they have a point. I mean, they'd read the character like I have, his adventures with the cores, his solo comic run, whatever. Maybe they'd have a little more appreciation for him. I mean, there needs to be more guy love on the internet. Um, uh, maybe not that kind of guy love. Regardless, there still has to be a way that a middle-aged man like myself with a love of comic books should be able to present a defense for an underrated character. If you build it, they will come. What was that? If you build it, they will come. Okay, strange disembodied voice. That's a great idea, but I really don't see how building a baseball field in the middle of a cornfield will help with matters. I mean... 
I think there aren't any cornfields near here, especially ones that are the owner let me build a baseball field in. Plus, Guy was more of a football player. And no, 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 no. <sighs> Look, no speaking metaphorically. What I meant by Bill was, oh, maybe make a podcast about it. Well, that's an even better idea. And it's a lot easier, given my farming and athletic abilities. I could recount all the appearances of Guy in comics. I could focus on his solo run. I could give detailed plans of his bar and hold on, hold on, hold on, champ, champ. You really want people to actually listen to the podcast, don't you? Well, yeah. So why not start with the 1990s Green Lantern and continue on to the Reaper? Well, that's an even better idea. I could cover the Guy Gardner solo series along the way, and also put up for a defense my second favorite GL, Kyle Rayner. Plus, really, these are the two Earth-based Green Lanterns. For whatever reason, they're really overlooked in the mass media. Plus, I've got a nearly complete runs of both series. Wow! Thanks, strange disembodied voice. No problem. Now, now, now. let's go kill President Nixon. Nixon. Um, you do know that Nixon has been dead for well over a decade. Oh, uh, okay. Well, how about some brownies? Mmm, that sounds great. I love some good brownies, especially the one with the chocolate frosting on top. Or have you ever had blondies? Those are even better. I had one of those at church. Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, is a weekly internet radio show covering the Green Lantern comics, starting with Green Lantern number 1 in 1990 and ending with Green Lantern number 181 in 2004. During the run, I will be placing a special emphasis on the characters of Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, my two favorite and the most underappreciated members of the Green Lantern Corps. Along the way, I'll be covering the Guy Gardner comic run, some Green Lantern annuals, and whatever else takes my interest at the time. Come listen along with me, Sean Ingold, as I make the case for the Green Lanterns who deserve a better reputation at justoneoftheguys.lipson.com. Alright, welcome back to the second half of Star Trek Monthly Monday 1701 edition. And now, as you know, if you've listened to the show before, we're into the DC Comics Star Trek session session section of the show. And uh, we've got a special issue this time. And you can tell because it's got the word special written right <laughs> across the top. It's issue number 33. It's a big old um, 20-year anniversary of Star Trek issue and i'll let scott gardner tell you all about it yes this one is you know as i think i've been pointing out recently i I feel like the quality of the the dc star trek title was slipping around this point but i just want to say that you know this one's special in the like special way not like the special way this is actually a, 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 a title that deserves uh the banner on it uh, it was a dollar twenty-five, which was uh, a little steep back at this time, but uh, it is a, an extra thick issue. It is a special issue. Beautiful cover on this by Jerry Bingham, and uh, it shows uh, Kirk, Spock, Uhura, and McCoy, and uh, you got the Enterprise. You know the classic TV crew; they're in their classic TV outfits, and you got the TV show Enterprise behind them, and then you got headshots of Kirk and McCoy. And the uh, USS Excelsior beneath them. It's it's really cool though. It's a great cover. It says uh, celebrating twenty years of voyages. And I like on on my copy, 
the uh, UP, uh, UPC box is actually empty and it says join the new voyages in this special issue. So they were trying to uh, entice new readers. I had actually stopped collecting Star Trek, um, you know, DC Star Trek at the time this issue came out. But this one jumped off the stands at me. This one definitely it. probably had sucked you in, I'm yeah, sure. Great cover. I mean, it's just a gorgeous cover. So I had to, I had to pick it up and see what it was all about. And uh, I was hooked right off the bat just with the premise of, of the whole idea of this story is, uh, is really, really cool. This is a story called Vicious Circle. And uh, I apologize, folks. I don't have a pre-written synopsis on this one. I'm going to do a, a quick and dirty back-to-the-bin-style synopsis, so bear with me on this. But uh, I, I feel qualified to make the attempt. <laughs> so we got Len, uh, Len Wein was the writer on this one. Tom Sutton and Ricardo Villagran, the uh, the regular artists. They're the uh, illustrators on this one. Augustus Mass is letterer. Michelle Wolfman, colorist. Robert Greenberger, editor. And uh, thanks is given to Beth Meacham for suggesting the idea for this story. So we start off right at the beginning of the episode with the tail end of the classic Star Trek television episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday. And that's the one where they, the Enterprise wound up back in the 60s and met up with Captain Christopher and all that sort of thing because there had been some space accident. Well, at the end of that episode, they end up having to slingshot around the sun to try to hurl themselves back to the future to, to get back where they came from. So that's where we pick up in this story. This is right in the middle of the attempt, and it works, except unlike how that episode ends with Uhura calling Starfleet and getting an answer, this time she doesn't. Instead, her signal is picked up by Uhura of the movie era. You know, Kirk and crew, after the events of Star Trek III, they're now aboard the USS Excelsior, where Uhura picks up the message from the TV show Enterprise Kirk and crew, they don't know what to make of this message, so they streak to the coordinates, and there they come face-to-face. You know, the Excelsior and the Kirk and his movie crew come face-to-face with the USS Enterprise from the old TV show and Kirk and the TV crew. And it's pretty awesome. It's really... What's nice about this is it's, it's expertly written. I can really imagine the actors delivering these lines and going through these scenes and I love that there's a there's some real standoffishness at the beginning of this with older Kirk thinking is this a trick and younger Kirk being very suspicious of the of the whole thing but eventually they decide we got to get together we got to compare notes so at first uh, TV show crew beams over to the Excelsior and there they get a taste of their future, you know, what the future holds for them. And we have, you know, young Kirk and old Kirk shaking hands. We got Scotty, you know, being kind of just uh, disbelieving of the whole thing. We've got Spock asking Savick, uh, why am I not here? Everybody else is here. Everybody else has a future counterpart, but where am I? And this is at a point where Spock had actually been promoted and he's now captain of another vessel, so he's not there. And there's a great moment where... Uh, Spock says, well, that explains it then. I thought perhaps my absence had more ominous overtones. I really like that. I think that's a great line. And we have, you know, the the younger crew, you know, the younger versions asking the older versions about, you know, what about this? You know, what happened with my life with this? What happened with my life? And I, I like the interplay between, you know, the original guys and then the older movie crew guys. It's really exciting. But it comes to a quick halt when uh, basically... 
space goes piss wacky and throws everybody around. And they quickly realize that they have a big problem on their hands and that, uh, you know, so it kind of wraps up the little meet and greet that they have going on here. And it's time to get down to brass tacks and figure out what's happening and how do they fix it. And of course, it's Spock and Savick that basically put their heads together and figure out that we shouldn't be here. We can't be here. And we got to fix this. We got to get the TV show crew home before the universe is destroyed, basically. And they're trying to figure this whole thing out when they get a, a, a hail from a third vessel. And that turns out to be Spock, you know, older Spock, movie era Spock. And he comes into the scene with his new ship, the uh, science vessel, the Vulcan science vessel, uh, USS Surak. And he comes aboard. And of course, he has a moment with his younger self and everything. Everybody compares notes and they come up with a plan that they're basically going to combine several ideas from several classic uh, Star Trek TV shows, all of which were related to time travel in one sense or other. Instead of trying to, again, throw themselves around a sun to get home, this time they're going to do a cold fusion start of the the ship's engines, just like they did in... um, What the hell one was that? Naked Time. Yeah, they're basically going to put it in neutral and push it and then kick it into gear. Exactly. (laughs) They're going to do that around the planet of the Guardian of Forever and basically aim the Enterprise at the planet. So one of two things is going to work. They're either going to snap into some sort of time warp or they're just going to smash into the planet and kill everybody and possibly the universe because that'll create a giant paradox that there's no way that they can get out of. So, of course, this is what they decide to do. And uh, I like the moment where where uh, TV show Kirk basically is like, eh, we could all die. Let's do it. I, I thought that was very authentic to the character of, uh, of younger Kirk. I thought that was very cool. So, of course, that's what they do. And, of course, everything works out. And at the end of it, we get basically a replay of the beginning of the episode, which, again, is the end of Tomorrow is Yesterday. Al- although this time everything plays out exactly like it does at the end of that classic episode TV Kirk and crew, they get home to their own time, and now the entire adventure never really happened, which is kind of sad, because now uh, Kirk and the movie-era crew, they don't remember any of this. Uhura does get a mysterious message, and she relays it to Kirk, although this time, instead of saying, you know, this is the USS Enterprise, we need assistance, it says... This is the USS Surak requesting assistance. And so Kirk sets course for going to uh, see what's up with his old buddy Spock and uh, setting up basically the next issue, the next mission. And that is Vicious Circle by Len Wein. So what did you think of this one? Well, I thought the plot was basically just an excuse to get the two casts together and it could have been really stupid, but it worked. It, it it was it didn't really have any suspense to it or like story arcs or anything but god damn it was just good to it was just fun fun mm-hmm. fun fun to see the two crews react to each other and it wasn't done totally cheesy it's 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 almost all just dialogue this whole show is just show epi- or, um issue is is pretty much just the the meat and potato of it when you take away the whole conflict is just when the the two 
past and future versions get to each other and get to have li- their little conversations, you know, and how they would react. And Len Wein really captured very well how the younger versions would have reacted to their older versions, what they would have asked them. I love when Scotty's like, what happened to the old girl? And old Scotty's like, believe me, you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and where, you know, where Spock has a chance to be like, deliver his needs of the many line. I like where Spock sees Savick and he's just like, blah, 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 Savick? <laughs> yeah. Is that you? Oh, you're involved in, in the future? Wow. I know you. But, um. You grew up to be hot. too bad it's not pon far we could be uh talking turkey i like how um i like how uh admiral kirk gets a a chance to cop a feel on young janice rand (laughs) and then he's like it reminds me of the old days and and i was thinking she should have been like what when you tried to rape me when you were drunk (laughs) on sorry and brandy (laughs) yeah okay maybe the maybe the old days were a little better for you uh, I, I I gotta go. We gotta go. Uh, we gotta go. Stop, uh, Khan. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> I thought. I, yeah, I thought the artwork was uh, was just a big improvement with those two. You know, even though it's the same artist, that this is really an improvement over their normal art. Uh, there's only one art thing that really kind of bothered me. Was there's a scene where a bunch of people have phasers in their hands and they look like pistols. Yes, I have the same note. Yes. They look like they have like police pistol, you know, like Lugers in their hands or something. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> but uh I I I just I just totally I just totally enjoyed this. I liked uh Now, is this I, your first time reading this? Yeah, I've never seen this before. You know, I I like that they went to the Guardian of Forever. They didn't really exploit it maybe as much as they could have, you know, the but you know, I like like I said, all that stuff was just a hanger to put the. There's a lot of word balloons in this episode oh, yeah. issue, and and usually that's not a good sign in stuff like this. But it's a very good sign in this. It's the meat and potatoes of this. I really like. It. I like. I I I especially liked the uh, old and young bones hanging out. Yeah. A couple of times, Spock looks a little like a Romulan in it he 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 looks kind of uh see almost I, like his dad in some some ways that's yeah you know gone. what you're right he does he looks more like mark leonard than he does yes. Nimoy. but see i'm not a fan of this art team at all it was probably the biggest thing that drove me away from collecting the book anymore i'm not a fan either but i think this is this is a little better than usual maybe because it I, has I less too. spaceships <laughs> I, I think so. You know, they, they are very good at likenesses, and and except for Leonard Nimoy, I think they did a hell of a job on the likenesses because I, I I didn't ever really notice it until this issue that they really do a good job with Shatner because movie era Kirk looks like movie era Shatner, and the TV show Shatner again looks like TV. I mean, they did a really good job and. It took this issue to to point that out to me that, you know, for all their shortcomings with everything else in the art in these issues, at least they do get the the likenesses pretty pretty close. Except, again, for Spock just looks too, um, 
I don't know, like like Vietnamese or something to me. Yes, it, yes. It, yeah, I, I don't. I yeah, he looks like almost like a. He he looks borderline like one of those offensive uh, caricatures, you know, 40s caricatures of of you know the the Japanese soldiers or something. You know, it really does sometimes. It, it's it's really screwed well, that it. If you hold your hands over his eyes and just look at his eyebrows as his eyes, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He really does. But he doesn't have big buck teeth or anything, so that's good. <laughs> oh, where's my marker? Solly, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a ton. Do you have any more notes mm-hmm. on this one? Riv wrong and prosper. <laughs> Riv wrong and prosper. <laughs> We're going to get letters. Um, letters. We get letters. I got a bunch of notes on this one. Uh, let's see. Page one, as awesome as it, as it is to see the uh, TV show Enterprise again, they got the saucer all wrong, buddy. It's a totally smooth saucer on the mm-hmm. TV show era Enterprise. But it's still, other than that, it was a pretty good job on that one, I thought. I like Spock's line on on page nine where everybody else is a doubting Thomas and going, this can't be real. This is some sort of trick. This is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And Spock's the one that calls it. And he just says uh, that we appear to have overshot our target by approximately 20 standard years. In other words, gentlemen, welcome to the future. I like that. I think that's a great line. I can totally hear uh, Nimoy delivering that, mm-hmm. you know, if, if this was ever a movie or something. Um, page 10. Panel 5, biggest nitpick of the entire issue right here. Savick claims that she scanned the TV show era Enterprise, and she says to Kirk, according to my scan, sir, the retinal and DNA patterns of this younger Captain Kirk are identical to your own. How the hell could they know that? They're on different ships. They didn't even talk to each other via the view screen yet. So how did she get his retinal and DNA patterns? You can't. Those are scan good scans, man. Yeah, I Those guess are so. Good scans. Yeah, they're yeah. really good. Um, let's see here. But again, you know, it was a nitpick, but it kind of that one kind of actually jumped out at me. I, I was like, "Whoa, that makes no sense at all." I like on that page that McCoy also points out that why don't we remember this happening? Yes, <laughs> twenty yeah. years ago, and and that was just about the time that I was thinking it. I'm like. They should be like, oh, yeah, this is a time where we went into the future. <laughs> but, of course, it, it isn't. So I liked, that, I'm glad they addressed that. I liked him point. Yeah, I liked that they addressed it, too. And I liked him pointing that out because it feels very, very realistic. But at the same rate, you know, being a child of comics and especially something like, say, uh, Tales, or not Tales, but um, um, All-Star Squadron, it also was a big red flag to me that, well, this means that at the end of this, it's all going to be uh-huh. wiped away and it never happened. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Per Degaton had turned out to be the, the big bad guy at the end of this because all of his stories end that way. They're all time travel stories and none of them end up ever really happening. And it's kind of annoying. But uh, let's see. Page 12, that last panel of Kirk going, huh. I like that, too. Uh-huh. That's great. That's I really, could totally really see how that would. I could totally see, like, the door close. I could see it shot as a movie, you know, with oh, Shatner yeah. delivering it. Absolutely. Admiral. Second page, uh, or excuse me, second panel, rather, on page 13, where 
the movie era guys are watching the younger crew beam in and Scotty just looks up and says St. Andrew Preservus. I love that. I, that's just great. All the all the little moments between the old guys and the new guys, or excuse me, the uh, yeah, the old guys and the original uh, TV show guys, um, were great. I, I liked every single one of them. They all rang so, true. Yeah, they did. They totally did. And uh, the moment between uh, young McCoy and old McCoy was great. Where uh, young McCoy just he says, you know, don't take this personally, but I'm a little disappointed. He says, I figured that I'd be retired by your age, living on a plantation somewhere, sipping mint juleps on a veranda. And the older one just says, I tried that, and it didn't take. I lied. That's perfect. I mean, that's, that's pitch perfect for that character. It's great. You know, I, I was thinking about something today, and I think I had this thought um, at the time originally, too, that you know, this is not far now. This is within a couple of months of when Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, would come out. I always kind of like to imagine that even though that at the end of the day, through the nature of time travel, this never really happened, that still somehow maybe subconsciously or something that Kirk and crew, you know, the movie era Kirk and crew somehow drew their inspiration to actually try the slingshot effect from this little adventure. I know that's really quite the stretch, but I, I just, you know, I like to think so. I think that's fun. And I, I was thinking about something today, and right off the bat, um, I, I can see a big hole in my in my idea. But I still think it's kind of interesting. You know, one of one of the big complaints and and one of the big issues for a lot of people, myself included, with generations, is that we never really got that big meetup between Kirk and Picard, like we, like we really wanted. You know, the full cast and crew of each of the ships meeting each other. And I'm thinking, what if they had just kind of borrowed this story idea and had, say, Star Trek IV era Kirk and crew, you know, when they did the slingshot effect in that one, meet up with Picard and crew from from their show, you know, in, in something like Generations. That would be okay. I just don't think it would be as fun as this one, you know, because this is the the appeal of this is it's the same people, you right. know, it's right. It's 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 and it was also the 20th anniversary of the show. So it's sort of like a metaphor of like, here's the new guys and here's, you know, here's looking back 20 years, you know, it was a way to to put to compare and compra- contrast them, you know, during the anniversary. So I thought that was a really good, good, good way of them to do it. And I like that it was a throwaway story because it's just sort of I, I think this is a total, you know, fanboy episode oh, totally. issue. But at the same time, I usually hate fanboy stuff, stuff that's like um, catering or or even pandering to the fans. You know, I mean, this is just sort of like based on an idea by, you know, that woman. And it was probably well, I can't remember her name. But, you know, she was probably like, could you do one where the old crew meets the new crew and stuff? And they're... and for the most part, I would relegate that to the land of fan fiction. But uh, this works. It totally thanks does. To, thanks to awesome writing. Thanks to actually, you know, there's a lot going on with the characters. You know, you can tell they're all thinking, how much should I tell this person? How much should I ask of them? And they're... They're talking to themselves, so they actually also know the other person intimately in some ways, so they, like, you can't really, it would be hard to bullshit your former self, you know? <laughs> right. 
Right. Very much so. So you end up with a lot of really sincere conversations that are very interesting. I liked Sulu. I like where Sulu was just sort of like, "Hey, good looking." <laughs> <laughs> they were they were both both just basically sitting there going, "I can't take my eyes off you." <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's a testament to Len Wein just being a hell of a writer that he, he pulls this off. He, he totally pulls it off and it really, really works. I, it's, and I was just thrilled that after, uh, you know, 20 some years, I mean, how long has it been? Let's see, this is 2012. This was 1986. What is that? Like 20, 26 years. Is that right? You know, almost twenty six years. Yeah. That this story holds up. You know, I, I I enjoyed it just as much, if not more, than I did when I originally read it. And I I was very fearful that I might not. You know, that I might read it today with you know old cynical comic book eyes and just go, oh god, this sucks. But it doesn't. It's a really good story. Um, I like that. Uh, well, that, that panel that you were talking about before, page 16, that first panel, there's been another one of those big shockwaves, and it's throwing everybody helter-skelter all over the place. I like this scene because this is, uh, you know, the younger Kirk says, you know, what's going on here, Admiral, if this is some sort of trap? And I like that because that actually feels very genuine of Kirk that, you know, there's a threat and he's he's suspicious. He's still not entirely sold on this scenario. But what I like beyond that is just all the little sight gags that are going on in that panel. Because like you say, it does look like everybody's suddenly holding like a pistol instead of phasers. But there's the guy that's off to Kirk's left right there that looks like he's going, Oh, hey, hey, point that thing somewhere, that thing somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk's not even paying attention. He's just got it up in the guy's face. <laughs> but my favorite one is you've got, <laughs> you've got movie... Movie era McCoy, yeah, down on his hands and knees, and it looks like TV era Spock is about to give him a big old boot right in the ass. Yeah, doesn't it look like he's winding up to kick him right in the ass? I I was looking at that thinking that it was that the two McCoys were looking to double team Savick there. It does kind of look like that. It does, yeah. One of them's going, hey, you want a little shoulder massage here? And the other one's creeping up on the side. <laughs> Maybe that's why Spock's going to give him a boot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Page 18. Okay, page 18. The first three panels. I didn't understand this. This was the one part that was like, huh? It's got a, let's see here. Okay. Movie era Kirk says, I hate to interrupt this little reunion, but we seem to have forgotten the problem that brought us all together. And uh, TV show Spock says, quite so. Movie era Kirk looks at him and says, Spock, I... And Spock says, Admiral. And then he goes, never mind, Spock. By now I've learned it isn't worth the effort. What the hell is that all about? I, I, I don't have get no that. idea. Yeah, I don't get that scene at all. It doesn't... It doesn't... Does not compute. Yeah, I don't. I don't get that at all. He was going for something, uh, Len Wein was, but I, I missed it. Um, Spock, page 18, last panel, um, thinks a hell of a lot of himself, apparently, because he says, unless I am uncustomarily mistaken, 
he says, this is the beginning of the end. I'm thinking, uncustomarily mistaken? It's like, Jesus, dude, get, o- get over yourself, you know? It's a lot of ego right there. He does he does that a lot though. He also like pretty much, you know, tells them that he's almost never wrong most of the time. Of course he would probably say something like, I'm usually correct ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. Actually the both the Vulcans have their have their dickish moments in this one because there's a part on page twenty where Kirk says, uh, what can be done to correct this situation? Savic pipes up and goes Obviously, some way must be found to return the vessel to its proper time. And I read it just that way, too, like she's being real pissy about it. Like, well, you dumbass. You got to send them back uh-huh. where they're supposed to be. <laughs> the On page 21, I liked the moment between the two Sulus, but the scene is actually all screwed up. And I kept trying to figure out what it was about it that was messed up. And I think I finally figured it out that... On the uh, on the fifth panel down there at the bottom, I think one of the Kirks is miscolored. I think the Kirk that's on the left-hand side is actually supposed to be colored like the movie era, or excuse me, like the TV era Kirk. Right. But I, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't quite figure that one out. And. Uh, if that's Christine Chapel, uh, I'll eat my hat because she doesn't look a damn thing like Major Barrett. She's cute though, but yep. she doesn't look like Major. Although, come to think of it, Janice Rand didn't look like Janice Rand either. I didn't think. Page twenty-eight, third panel. I loved Kirk's reaction. You know, um, um, movie era Kirk. Oh, yeah, he was never going back there. (laughs) So the idea of having to go back to the Guardian planet, I thought that was was really awesome. And there was a moment here. Let's see. It's uh, it's on page 30. I just got to read this. This this was awesome. This made me feel so justified in all of the talk that we had had not long ago regarding City on the Edge of Forever and the Guardian and Edith and, and Kirk and everything. It says, Captain's Log, Stardate Inapplicable. It says, of all the planets in the universe, there is no world I would less like to return to than the planet of the Guardian of Forever, where I once lost the only woman I ever loved and now may soon lose my life. I liked that. I read that and I just was pumping my fist in the air going, yes, Len Wein feels the same way that we do about, uh, about Edith, apparently, and about Kirk's you know, how Kirk would come to feel about, you know, the whole thing. I, I just thought that was really, really cool. Um, and I just realized flipping through this thing, I don't think I ever caught this before, but uh, uh, Spock's new command is the Surak, right? Right. And I, I, I can't believe I never noticed this before, but it's built and, and resembles very strongly the courier ship that uh, that Spock took to get to the Enterprise in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, what I used to always call the space sled, because it, it looked like a like a space had runners on it. Runner, yeah, like it had runners, like a space toboggan or something. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I think that vessel was called the Surak. I, I could be wrong. I need to look that up. I meant to look it up earlier today, and I forgot. But I had a model of that that I never built. I, I have no idea whatever happened to it. I don't even think I ever took it out of the shrink wrap. But I remember owning that 
and I'm 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 almost positive that on the I don't know about it in the movie, but it, um, on the box, I'm pretty sure it was called the Surak. But uh, again, need to look that up at some point. Page thirty-two. I like this moment, and I suddenly realized, you know, this isn't the last time we're going to see old Spock and uh, young Spock bid farewell to each other. Yeah. Page 33, I thought it was very strange that Spock beams down. And if, if you look at the panel a certain way, it's like he, as he's beaming down, the, the Guardian's already speaking. But one way or the other, whether it's as he's beaming down or after he's already beamed down, the Guardian waits for a question. He doesn't just start talking. Or at least he didn't in, you know, in the original episode anyway. I like the little, I'm sure it was an intentional homage on page 34 where uh, Kirk tells Sulu, let's get the hell out of here. Yes. But, oh, definitely. And uh, and that's pretty much it as far as notes on this. Um, at the end of the day, you know, because all of it never happened now, it's not exactly relevant. But it is just a great. It's issue. fun. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a it's a victory lap. It's twenty. Hey, we've been around twenty years. Let's. It's a victory lap for. It's it's you know it's it's fun for everyone. It was probably fun to write and draw and mm-hmm. and do and and they could they could sort of do whatever they wanted because it's a throwaway story and it's it's perfect. You know, on that subject, I, I didn't look this up, so I'm not in. I'm not 100% sure of my facts on this. But uh, it was, part of it, mostly, it was because I, I didn't want to seem like I was, you know, pissing on this. But I think they fudged the 20 year thing. I think that where they are in the in the movie continuity is honestly only about 15 to 16 years later, because Kirk has that line in Star Trek II where he says, you know, there's a man out there I haven't seen in 15 years trying to kill me. That was a first season episode. And, you know, the the whole thing with Khan, you know, that was how this series kicked off, was, right. uh, you know, immediately post-Khan. Now, we have gone through Star Trek Three and all that, but still, that you know, the whole timeline, you're looking at, what, maybe a couple months removed at most from, from Star, you know, the end of Star Trek Two, So... It, it's it is a little bit fudge, but like I say, I, I almost hate to point that out because I I just enjoy the story. This is one of those where I'm not going to nitpick it too much because it's a hell of a lot of fun. You know, it's just a really great story. Love the way it was written. I, I thought that uh, that they really did a fantastic job on this. And you know, it was Scotty that pointed it out to me today. You know, he, he was kind of looking over my shoulder. You know, hey, Dad, what you reading? Kind of thing. And I explained to him, you know, what the issue was. And I. I made some comment about, you know, it's such a shame they couldn't ever actually do this. And he said, you know, why not? He said, you know, today with, with the way things are and everything, you know, why, why couldn't they? And, you know, I think to a certain degree, I think he has a point. They'd probably have to do it all, you know, like CGI mocap type yeah. of stuff. But why the hell not? You know, they'd probably never spend the money. It would be a lot but of it's money. it's so fun to think about that. Yeah, you know. It, it that it could be a lot of fun. It really could. Ten years from now, they they could probably do it even better. Yeah. Well, you know, if things keep going the way they they are with technology and and everything, I mean, look at the things that that somebody can do on their home computer these days. Who knows? In another ten twenty years, we might be able to at our home computer make something that's like 
Polar Express quality right. ourselves and could actually theoretically make, you know, something like this issue happen in a, in a CGI style. I, that would be awesome. That would be really, really awesome. I think that'd be, that'd be something, you know, worth waiting for. But, uh, but that's all I got on this one. I enjoyed it very much. And next time around, the plan is, and I, I you know, again, I, I'll stress that this is the plan. It may not actually, you know, end up coming out this way. We'll just have to see how things play out. But the plan is to actually cover three issues next time and just to, you know, basically wrap up that in-betweener period between uh, Star Trek three and Star Trek four, because if we can cover all three issues remaining next time, then the episode after that would be our coverage for Star Trek four. So what do you think? We could give it a try. I think it's time we kick on the old Star Trek computer and find out what's happening next time. I think that's Chris speak for shut the hell up. I'm done with this episode. (laughs) No, I'm just, I'm, you know, the the computer smokes a lot, <laughs> and uh, smokes a lot, Mister smokes a lot. That smokes too much. Smokes too much. You're right. You're. Oh my God. That's it. I got. Then you ought to cut down. Then. What? <laughs> yeah. I need. All right. Oh. And in my my Monty Python card after that one. Number forty-five. Number forty-five is. <gasps> The Gamesters of Triskelion. Oh, God. <laughs> that's going to be some fun. <laughs> 45 Quatloos on the newcomers. Oh, that's right. This is the one with Quatloos in it. Quatloos. I once saw a band called the Quatloos. <laughs> were they any good? They were. They were very good. They were a touring band. They weren't like a local band. They were like, they have, you could probably go out and find their albums. They were like old. You know, I I wouldn't say rockabilly, but old kind of rock and roll. You know, they were retro for sure. You right. know, they were definitely like music from you know this kind of hip cool music from that time period. But you know, they were obviously Star Star Trek fans. <laughs> <laughs> Forty five Quatloos on the Quatloos. Quatloos and Fizzbin are two of my favorite words that have come out of Star <laughs> Trek. <laughs> All right. I got nothing. (laughs) So that's the end of the episode. See you next month. (laughs) I'm talking old, you little bastards. (laughs) Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. 
Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.